The Boy Who Harnessed the Wind, part five. This is the last part in our uh, series. Just to catch you guys up, basically, William Wakamba is a boy born in Mowali, a nation in Africa. Mowali, a nation in Africa with 11 million people, of which only 2% have electricity. Now, he was able to basically innovate through, even through corrupt government, through a famine in which left his family basically starving, completely poor, and poor enough where they could not even afford for him to uh, go to school, which cost pennies on the dollar from what it compares to now. And basically, he, he had this thirst for innovation and this thirst for knowledge and to basically bring electricity to his family first and then to the nation. And he found this local library while he was out of school during this famine and where Americans had donated these books. And he began just his thirst for knowledge, quenching his thirst for knowledge. And he found this one book called, uh, I think it's Explaining Physics, and then the other was an electricity book. And with these two combined, he basically found these diagrams for these uh, windmills. And nobody in his area had ever heard about windmills or really understood it. Most people are just trying to survive and are farmers just in the day-to-day of things. So he was laughed at. He was ridiculed. People called him the Chamba Man, which is the uh, marijuana smoking man. And uh, it was really, really interesting. You know, we, in the last uh, episode we recorded yesterday on uh, part four, it revealed the um, the windmill. So he was this little, little kid. I think he was around 14 years old. And, you know, nobody believed in him. They were calling him an idiot, stupid. And he built this thing. You know, he, he got scraps in the junkyard. He was able to find all the pieces and build this. And, you know, on the day he wanted to test it out, um, the final version, which he like built this uh, tower basically out of these sticks. And then at the top, he had one of those dynamo um, bicycle wheels attached to the fans of the windmill and it power. He, he showed how he could create power from this wind. And we're continuing on here. This is an absolutely amazing story. So many incredible lessons about innovation and persistence. So electric wind, I shouted. I told you I wasn't mad. One by one, the crowd began to cheer. They raised their hands in the air, clapping and shouting. Wachamba, wachamba. Well done. You did it, William. Many of these onlookers were businessmen from other districts who didn't come to trade in the market. And people, so this is basically continuing on to, to a month after he, uh, he released this. And again, with these recap um, episodes as a five-part series, I'm basically sharing with you the essential lessons that I learned from this. So kind of recapping everything for you and putting it in bite-sized chunks, 15-minute episodes. This one might be uh, even a little shorter. Gonna, definitely going to wrap it up in this one. So... Many of those onlookers were businessmen from other districts who'd come to trade in the market. To travel, to the traveling traders, the windmill was kind of like a roadside attraction, a must-stop while passing Wimbe. Others came on bicycles from outer villages with chickens and sacks of maize strapped to their bikes. Women carry flour and heads stopped and poked to my mother. God bless you, one said. You have a child who has performed wonders. You'll never complain about Kurosene which is one of their like local words. And the men passed through, through who approached, approached my father. Your son made this, they asked? Yes. What an intelligent boy, they responded. Where did he get such ideas? He's been reading lots of books. Maybe from there? They teach this in school, question mark? He was forced to drop out. He did this on his own. And he was forced to drop out because they couldn't make enough money during this famine period. 
And, uh, you know, the, uh, his mother said, you know, um, after, so they were basically before this, they had to go to bed around like seven, seven thirty because it was just pitch dark. The sun would go down and then there's no way to have light. So they would all go to bed and his main thing was, uh, was reading. So he eventually with this windmill, he hooked up a battery to basically store the energy and then hooked that up to little lights and he hung those around his room. And he said, you know, for once I had my own private lighted space. And then his mom goes on to say his mom was, uh, you know, really nervous when he was collecting all these parts and he had to drop out of school. He was kind of acting like a madman, collecting all these parts, reading these books and uh, going to the junkyard every day. And this is what she said. Eh, you proved everyone wrong, she said, smiling. But I admit, I did worry about you. What if the wind stops blowing? Asked Rose. Well, I said, the lights go off and I'm stranded, but I'm already thinking of a plan for having a battery. Once I have more wire and a car battery, I explained, I could store electricity for the times when the wind stops blowing. I could also provide light for the entire house. It would have to be done little by little, but once complete... It would save my parents the money they normally spent on kerosene. And that was just the beginning. The next machine would pump water for our field. One day, windmills would be our shield against hunger. Remember, they, the majority of this book, the middle part, they went through this famine. And since the corrupt government, they really didn't help them. And they were really, people were just dying left and right. So that night, he says, I was too excited to sleep. After everyone went to bed, I stayed awake and flipped through explaining physics preparing and looking up at the light the way it blinked and flickered. The warm glow painted the walls and the pages of the books and shined against the red clouds of dust pushed from outside. As usual, that night, a strong wind was blowing. Powerful, powerful. So he was able to harness this electricity of the wind, whereas in past, you know, they talk about they had these little battery-powered radios to uh, hopefully get some news because they really had no other source of it. And um, they would use those dynamo bikes. So basically creating kinetic energy similar to like a crank flashlight. And uh, this is uh, what's going to be going. So the, um, let's see. So this is like an area where in, in other episodes I talked about these, um, these beasts, these in, in this area in uh, Mowali, they still believed in witch doctors and these like mythical beings and this was an area where, you know, there, there was a story where somebody was dragged into the forest basically by the spirit and killed. And at this time, the police conducted all-night searches. And one evening, they managed to corner the beast in a thicket. But according to newspapers, whenever the police fired their rifles, the beast split into three separate animals and dispersed into the bush. Villagers then um, visited the Sangia who concocted a power that's basically like a witch doctor the Sangia who concocted a powerful potion and flung it into the trees the next morning the beast lay dead on the road its corpse no bigger than a dog when the elders turned its body no fire would consume it so when they tried to burn its body no fire would consume it the villagers returned to their home however just when everyone thought they were safe a second beast came attacking and killing again sending thousands back into the bush it was later concluded that the beast was a, a product of magic. A certain trader near Doa had purchased some of the thunder and lightning from another powerful wizard and later refused to pay for it. In relation, the uh, magic man had been sent, had sent the beast against his family. All those who had been mangled and killed were his relatives. So 
this basically just shows that um, in this area, they really didn't believe much in science because nobody was really properly educated. They more believed in kind of myth and uh, magic. So it kind of provides perspective on um, science. And, uh, you know, William says, in science, we invent and create, I said. We make new things that can benefit our situation. If we can all invent something and put it to work, we can change Malawi. That's his village in Africa that he grew up in, his nation in Africa. I later found that some of the students had been so inspired by the windmill in the schoolyard, they went home and made toy windmills themselves. I began to imagine what it would be like if all those pinwheels had been real. If every home and shop and trading center had a spinning machine that could catch the wind and above the rooftops. At night, the entire valley would sparkle with light like clear, starry sky. More and more bringing electricity to my people no longer seemed like a madman's dream. Powerful, powerful words. This is such an amazing book. I highly recommend you guys go and pick it up. This is the area where basically uh, reporters started coming in and uh, talking to William and capturing the story because of how amazing it was. And I, somebody had talked about it on like a radio station in, a, in an other village and it got to America and American reporters came. And he says, in a way, it took having these reporters come to my house to make our town finally accept my windmill. I don't know, but I think it was kind of validation. After the radio and, radio and newspaper coverage, the numbers of visitors to my house increased tenfold. And this was all just kind of a rush. You know, William had never been really outside his village. And he says, uh, you know, um, the he was sent to this, I think he was sent to a school. Yeah, yeah. So he was sent to a school to, because he wasn't in school and he did all this by himself just by reading books and acquiring knowledge, which is what we're all about here at the Modern Academy. And when he got all this coverage, they're like, okay, we're going to get together funds. Americans are going to fund you to go to a school. And he says, he goes to school and he says, you know, our dorms were dirty and the walls were covered with graffiti. The urinal in the bathroom didn't work. So from one student, namely me, the new guy, had to clean them every day and keep down the smell. The rooms themselves were so cramped that two boys were forced to squeeze, squeeze into a small bed. My bedmate was a boy named Kennedy who never cleaned his socks. Eh, man, you need to wash your feet before you come to bed with me, I told him. Isn't that so disturbing? So this is just such an inspiring story because he did all these amazing things, but yet and he, he grew up in this impoverished area with only... 2% of them having electricity out of 11 million and corrupt government, corrupt basically society. And they believed in magic, all these different things. And still, even though he was able to build this windmill and have amazing feats, he was in this nasty school where they had to share beds. So two boys were forced to squeeze into a small bed and his bedmate didn't clean his, um, never cleaned his socks. And he's like, William told him, you know, you need to uh, clean your socks. And then his roommate says, uh, Sorry, I can never tell. He said, I'll wash tomorrow. Promise. But he never did. Often I'd wake up with my, his feet touching my mouth. So they'd go like, excuse the harsh um, picture, but they'd go like 69 style. So they'd, they'd flip upside down. And uh, so the end of this book basically just shows he goes to America and he, he um, meets with these amazing people. And he says, uh, you know, my family couldn't have imagined that a little windmill I built during a famine would change their lives in every way. And during this famine, um, and they saw the change as a gift from heaven. Whenever I came home from school on the weekends, my parents had a new nickname. They called me Noah, like the man in the Bible who had built the ark, saving his family from God's flood. Everyone laughed at Noah, but look what happened, my mother said. You saved his family from destruction. 
You put us on the map, my father said. Now the world knows we're here. So basically, you know, the Western world really doesn't know. I'm sure you probably hadn't heard about Mowali unless you studied Africa um, relentlessly. And, you know, so this this person named Tom that basically helped him write this book bring brought him to this uh, TED conference. And he says, you know, later that week, Tom and I drove to Connecticut to have dinner with Jay Walker. And this was the first time William, William had ever been on an airplane. First time William had ever been outside of Mowali. And uh, so it was just an insane experience. And he, so continuing on. So he says, um, you know, Tom and I drove to Connecticut to have dinner with Jay Walker and his wife, Aline, whom I'd met at the TED conference. His li- the library in Jay, Jay's home was famous throughout the world, a kind of museum of great inventions. Many of his books were hundreds of years old and written on whatever materials were available, showing what even, how even in other parts of the world, people went to great trouble to expand their knowledge. Some of the books were even covered in jewels, but the library was more than just books. An original Soviet Sputnik satellite hung from the ceiling and displayed a shelf where some of the first computers, radios, and processors, even not a Nazi Enigma code machine. But my favorite item was the replica of Thomas Edison's first light bulb, which I studied at every angle. And I had a hard enough time to creating light from a windmill, but my God, this man had created actual light. So powerful. So, uh, you know, he says at the end, you know, kind of what, whatever I decided to do, I would apply this lesson I'd learned. If you want to make it, all you have to do is try. Wow. What an amazing book and an end to our series. I found so many amazing lessons from this and it really comes full circle. You know, in the beginning of this book, it goes from his youth to his innovations, creating this windmill from scratch. You know, his family had to go through this completely hard time, this famine, and it really shines a light on our our current situation now, you know, currently we're going through the coronavirus and people quarantining, people kind of freaking out and losing faith. Whereas, you know, William was born in this situation and as a young boy, he was able to do this. He was able to motivate himself, even though not only did he have his upbringing kind of pulling him back, he had his parents worried about him, his community, the village was making fun of him, calling a chamba smoking man, which is a marijuana man. And um, which I thought was hilarious. And it's just an absolute amazing book. I couldn't recommend it enough. The Boy Who Harnessed the Wind, William Kwamba. And uh, you can basically, uh, you can actually keep up with William at, uh, you can visit his blog at williamkwamba.typepad.com and uh, go to movingwindmills.org to uh, you know see the documentary about William with the footage in the village and view the diagram about how William built his windmill and contribute to the students in Wimbe. Very, very powerful book. Again, I couldn't recommend enough. And you can learn so many amazing lessons if you really read this. And uh, if you enjoyed this episode, make sure you uh, listen to the ones before. This is the end to our five-part series of The Boy Who Harnessed the Wind. If you enjoyed this, please leave us a review and subscribe. Here at the Modern Academy, we record typically around three episodes a day, one five, one ten, and one 15-minute episode. Again, thank you very much for listening. Consider subscribing and leaving us a review. Thanks so much for listening. And until next time.